Oh man, hello, hello, hello. Hey friends, how are you? You look beautiful, did you know that? You look amazing. Now that the lights are up and I'm looking at all of you guys' faces, you guys are like some really, really good looking people. Um, listen, wow, I'm so excited to be here uh, with you all today. Um, I'm not sure if you all know this, uh, but Hill City and what's happening in the life of your church and what's happening in your church just all together is something very, very special. Um, the love that you guys have for one another, the love that you all have for your city, it's infectious. And I got to be the first one to tell you that what you have here, please don't take it for granted. Look around you. What's happening in this space is God-ordained, it's divine. Um, and while I'm at it, I, I just want to quickly take a moment. I believe deeply in honor. Can we celebrate your pastors, John and Lacey? Can we just clap our hands? And I'm gonna tell you why, I'm gonna tell you why we're not just clapping just because it's a formality, but understand this, John and Lacey are two of the most genuine and sincere people on the face of this planet. They love you all, they are always praying for you all, and they're always looking to lead you all well. And to be quite honest, that can be somewhat difficult to find in today's culture, in today's society, in today's world, finding two people like John and Lacey, so we honor them today. One more time, can you clap your hands for them all over the room? And to the Hill City staff all over the room, you guys are sprinkled everywhere. I love you guys, like with all of my heart. Um, I'm so grateful that you all let your weird cousin come and share with your church today. Some of you guys are looking at me like, whoa, we got a black cousin? Yeah, I know, surprise. <laughs> We'll talk about it more when John and Lacey get back. But no, seriously, um, like Lamont said, my name is Rivers. I serve at the Life Church on the south side of Richmond, and I serve a couple other places. But today, I'm just happy to be a part of the Hill City family. And we've been in an amazing series over the last several weeks, uh, talking about the parables of Jesus and talking about how Jesus uh, taught and shared with the people around, uh, people around him. And I didn't know I was closing the series. No pressure. <laughs> well, we're going to go to Luke 15 very quickly, Luke 15, and we're going to share just a couple of short verses. It's the parable of the lost coin. Such a brief parable, it's about three verses. It's in Luke chapter 15, verse 8. If you have your Bible, go there with me. If you don't, it's going to show up on the screen, no big deal. Or I'll just read it to you, we can just do story time. Um, Luke chapter 15. Verse 8, this is what it says. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. If you're taking notes today, which I pray that you are, um, you can write this at the top, just this idea, lost in plain sight. Lost in plain sight. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you, and we are your children in desperate need to hear from their Father. Your presence is already here all around us, but now our hearts are ready to hear a word from you. Speak now. 
Your children are listening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. We all say together, amen. Lost in, in plain sight. Hey, if you would allow me, I just kind of want to give you a little bit of background about who I am. I'm from the Tidewater area, born and raised. Uh, my wife's name is Morgan. Uh, she was supposed to be here this morning with me, but she uh, is running late, which is typical for her. No big deal. Don't tell her I said that when she gets here. That has to stay between you and I. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we, we've been married for a few years now, and actually next month we'll be celebrating our fifth year anniversary. Don't tell her that either. Don't tell her that I hesitated. That has to stay here. That has to stay. If she finds out, I know that you told her. Uh, but we are celebrating five years next month, and being married to her has been one of the most amazing experiences that I've ever had. Being married has just been phenomenal, but not only has it been amazing, it's also been really revealing. And what I mean by that is, I remember before getting married, talking to a mentor of mine, and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, being married will teach you more about you than anything else in your life. Yeah, he said, being in a marriage is almost like holding a mirror up to yourself and seeing some things that maybe you didn't see before. But not just like deep things, psychologically, mentally, emotionally. It didn't just reveal those deep things in my heart. It revealed uh, little like petty things that I didn't think would make or break a marriage. And now that I'm married, I'm like, that might be a problem. <laughs> I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I, I didn't know that I had uh, this condition before I was married. My wife would describe it as, uh, she says, I have... Selective hearing? Anybody? No husband move. Like, husbands just stay still. He's like, yeah, look, my, we're here. We're going to start a life group together. Start a small group. We're going to walk through this thing together. He, she pointed out that I have selective hearing, as in I only hear what I kind of want to hear when she's talking to me. And when she pointed it out to me, I was in extreme denial. I was very defensive. We were uh, sitting at dinner one day, and she was talking, and I was listening. Well, at least I thought I was. At the end of the conversation, he points it out to me. She says, hey, babe, do you know you weren't really paying attention to me? No, what are you talking about? I heard everything you said. Oh, yeah? Can you tell me when uh, Zoe, our daughter, when her doctor's appointment is this week? Huh? <laughs> yeah, you said you were listening. Can you tell us, can you tell me when, when Zoe's doctor appointment is this week? Yeah, it's this week. Uh, soon. So she pointed out that I had no idea that I had selective hearing. I, I didn't realize that until I was married. Here's another thing. I didn't know uh, until I was married that I'm a, I'm a bad looker. And what I mean by that is I'm not good at finding things in our house. She'll give me very, uh, uh, very descriptive instructions. Hey, babe, go downstairs, look here under this, and you'll find my phone. Can you bring it to me? And somehow, even after like these very detailed instructions, I'll go and it's not there, but then she'll find it magically. Somehow, I'm a bad looker. I'll give you an example. One day, I was looking frantically for my keys. I put my keys in the same place every single day. I put them right next to the coffee pot because I get coffee, my keys, and I go. Coffee, keys, go. 
One day I come downstairs, I'm looking for my keys, and they're not in the place that I, I put them. So I, I start to panic. I, I look all over the place. I look in the cabinets. I start to look in the fridge. I look in under the couch where like the dust bunnies are. I don't even know why I looked under there, but I was panicking. And I didn't want to ask her where they were because, to be quite honest, that was a last resort. Because I knew, I knew she would call me irresponsible, and I'm too insecure for that. I don't know. I couldn't handle that emotionally. But I, after about 20 minutes of searching, I, I broke down and I went upstairs and said, Hey, babe, can you, do, have you seen my keys? She says, well, did you look in the drawer? I said, of course I looked in the drawer. Well, of course I did. I didn't look in the drawer. <laughs> she went downstairs and said something to me that I know no husband likes to hear. She said these words, don't worry, I'll do it. Lost. <laughs> She goes downstairs, opens the drawer, and the keys are right there. And I'm like, I'm overjoyed. I'm running late, but I'm overjoyed. I was in a panic. She was completely calm. You can clearly see who's the more emotional one in the relationship. I said, honey, how, how did you stay so calm? I thought, they were, I thought they were gone. And she said something to me that I'll never forget. She said, well, I knew you couldn't find them, but I knew they had to be in the house. I knew you couldn't find them but I knew they had to be in the house. As I was preparing for our time together, that statement just rang again in my heart. I couldn't, I know you couldn't find them, but I knew they were in the house. Isn't that one of the most frustrating feelings? To know exactly where something is, but still not be able to find it? Is, to know exactly where you usually put a thing, but when you go to get the thing, it's not there. You put it in the same place every day and somehow when you go and reach for it, it's nowhere to be found. Isn't that a frustrating feeling? Maybe you can relate to this feeling because you haven't lost something, but if you're being honest today, you yourself have felt lost. You felt lost and you felt as though that no one could find you. And not only did you feel lost, you felt lost in some of the most familiar of places. What do I mean? Maybe you've been going to work week after week after week and you've been trying your best to be productive. You've been trying your best to put forth your best effort, but somehow you still feel this overwhelming feeling and you ask yourself, what am I even doing here? Or maybe perhaps you've been together with friends, friends that love you, friends that care about you, friends that would move heaven and earth for you. And somehow still in the, months of, in the midst of all of that love, in the midst of those relationships that you've built, you found yourself asking, do you, do you all even care about me? Maybe you've been sitting at the dinner table with your family, your spouse and your kids, everyone's there. And you can't even seem to focus on the conversation at the table because in your mind, you're thinking, what am I, what am I gonna do about my life? Have you ever felt lost in places that feel like home? What a feeling. If I could take it a step further, I believe that even some of us in this room, people who consider themselves Christians, people who consider themselves Jesus followers, can sometimes feel a little lost in the most familiar places. 
We come to these weekly gatherings. We come here Sunday after Sunday, and we hear amazing teachings. But even while we're still sitting in our seats, we, we feel a little lost. We don't know which way is up from down. We can't tell left from right. We're feeling lost. We'll sing songs with our hands lifted up, and we're singing loud, you know my name. But in our heart of hearts, we still feel lost. Asking ourselves questions, what am I going to do? I feel as though I can't figure it out. We've been serving on teams. We're parking cars, and we're serving in guest services, and still with a smile on our face every single week. And in our heart, we're feeling lost. You see, when I say lost, here's what I mean. I mean, you feel this overwhelming feeling of, feeling of I don't really know the direction or trajectory that I'm on. I'm feeling a little disoriented by everyday life, by everyday life. Do you know what that feeling's like? Do you know what that feeling's like? Here's what I think the feeling of being lost can do. It can bring about two perspectives. One perspective is very ideal, and I believe that Pastor Nicole spoke on this a little bit last week. You see, that one idea or one perspective of feeling lost keeps you humble. It keeps you tethered to the cross. It keeps you tethered to the work of Christ, knowing that no matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, there's still a Savior who loves me, that no matter if I feel lost, if I have been lost, there is a God in heaven, there's a Father who loves me, who is constantly coming after me, and if I can just hold on to that hope, everything will be okay. That's the ideal feeling of feeling lost, feeling, feel, feeling humbled by the idea of loss. But there's another perspective that may be a little more familiar to us. The, the, the feeling of being lost and it being horrifying. Here's what I mean. The feeling of being lost and feeling abandoned. The feeling of being lost and feeling silenced. Asking questions like, does God even see me? Does God even hear my prayers? Does God even, does God even care? Oftentimes, whether we want to admit it or not, friends, we find ourselves on that perspective, the idea of feeling lost. And I believe today in our text in Luke 15, Jesus uses just this small parable to shift our perspective back to what's true. Because here's the reality. The feelings that you feel are very real, but they're not the final say. The feelings that you are experiencing may be causing your reality to feel as though it's caving in, but can I tell you today that this text gives us hope that there's, there's more to the story. You see, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is in the midst of sharing a number of parables that we have been highlighting over the last several weeks. He's, he's in the midst, in this rhythm of sharing these amazing stories that in Luke chapter 15 seem to have a connecting thread. Once was lost and now found. Once was lost and now found, depicting the Father's love for those that he feels as though are lost. 
In Luke chapter 15, you find two of the most popular parables in all of the gospel narrative. It opens up with the parable of the lost sheep. You know the parable of the lost sheep. It's the story about a man who has a hundred sheep and still in the midst of having all of these sheep, one is lost. So what does the man do? The man abandons 99 sheep in the wilderness to go and find that which is lost. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. We love to hear these stories in church. Luke chapter 15 ends with the parable of the lost son, and it's the tale of a father and his two sons. The younger son goes to the father and asks for his inheritance. He demands his inheritance. He gets the inheritance from his father, and he goes off, leaves the father's home, thinking that he can create another life for himself that would be better than the one that he had. And he comes to the end of himself. He says, I have to find my way back into my father's grace. The scripture goes on to tell you that the, father, the son practices this apology, and he makes his way back to the place that he abandons. He makes his way back to his father's house, and the scripture says that while the son was still afar off, what does the father do? The father stops what he's doing, and he runs towards the son. I have to go after my son, which is lost. I'm going to go get him. Once was lost, now was found. But if you're anything like me, and the feeling of being lost has taken a toll on you, you can almost read these scriptures and be a little frustrated. Jesus, I get it. You go after the one. You go and get the lost. You go and get the sheep that's been lost. You go and get the son that's ran astray. But Jesus, what, what about me? I, I haven't gone anywhere. I've been serving. I've been giving. I've been sowing. I've been coming to church every week. I haven't gone astray. I haven't been lost. What about me, Jesus? I'm right here in the house that you built, but somehow I still feel lost. Do, do you care about me? Will you, will you come and get me too? I need you too, Jesus. That's the second perspective of feeling lost that comes up out of us. The feeling of loss that starts to turn sour. The feeling of loss that starts to turn a little bitter. How can I feel lost inside of the house that Jesus has created? How can I feel lost in the midst of God's presence? I just, it doesn't make sense. And as these questions began to arise in me, there was a short parable sandwiched in between these two polarizing stories, these two popular stories, these two elaborately written stories that's about three verses. It's almost as if Jesus was in a flow, in a flow of thought, and he just really quickly takes a caveat and he says, so there was a woman with 10 silver coins, and she loses one. Now immediately I read the verse and I say, okay, here we go again. You lost the coin and what are you going to do? You're going to go after it, Jesus? I get it. I get it. But what about me? What about me? But as the text goes on, something interesting happens. The text says that she lost the coin. She lit a lamp. She swept around the house until she found the coin. Wait. 
there's something. Let me read it again. She, she lights a lamp. She sweeps around the house diligently, the scripture says, until she finds the coin. Wait, wait, Jesus, this is, this is different from the other parables. You see, you see the main characters in the other parables in chapter 15, they go out to get that was, that was, was, was lost. The man goes after the sheep. He has to go out to get it. The father goes and gets the son while he's afar off. But in this scripture, in this story, the woman doesn't retrace her steps. The woman doesn't go back to where she got the coins. She doesn't go asking a bunch of questions. But she lights the lamp sweeps around the house diligently until the coin is found. Here's another note. Jesus doesn't depict her as panicked or frantic, but she, he does describe her as someone who is focused on what she intends to find. Why? Could it be that the woman in the parable knows that the coin is in the house the entire time? And because she knows it's in the house, there are two things she could, have, she could have done. She could have said, I know the coin's here, I'll search for it later. Or she'll say, I know the coin's here, I got nine other coins, that's good enough, I'll find the coin eventually. No. No. She realizes that she has lost the coin and immediately begins to search. Why? Because just because the coin is lost inside of the home doesn't mean that the coin isn't worth the diligent search. Friend, I'm that coin. And if I'm being honest, maybe you're that coin too. Saying, God, here I am, here, hey, here I am. I, I didn't go anywhere, but maybe I just slipped through the cracks. I, I didn't, God, I'm still here. I'm still, I'm right here, God. You, you, you have to see me. I, I know you see me. You have to come, come find me. Will you, will you come find me? Can I tell you something today? You're still worth the search. Oftentimes, when we hear stories like this, when we hear parables about how Jesus goes after the one, we always equate it to those who are far from God, those who are outside of these four walls. But can I be candid with you? The people in this room, the people who consider themselves Jesus followers need the gospel narrative just as deeply as those who are outside of these four walls. Because why? Jesus is still coming after us as well. He's never stopped searching for you. He'll never stop searching for you. You are worth the search. No matter how you feel, no matter what it seems like, being in a crowded room and shouting unto God and feeling as though he can't even hear you or that he won't hear you or that your prayers are falling on deaf ears. This parable is teaching us that even inside of the home, the woman didn't stop searching until she found the coin. The coin was still valuable. Just because the coin couldn't be found didn't mean that the coin had lost its value. 
And scripture goes on to, say, to tell us that once she found the coin, it was still worth a celebration. She calls all of her neighbors around, everybody from the neighborhood, hey, I found my lost coin. I had it. I didn't have to go searching for it. I knew it was in the house, but I still found it. Can we rejoice anyway? Verse 10 says this, that just like that, that God, the joy and the presence of God and his angels rejoices as sinners repent. And can I tell you something? He doesn't just rejoice over sinners repenting. He rejoices over you as well. He rejoices not over those who are lost and far away, but he rejoices over you who are right here in the house. As you come back to the realization that, hey, I still belong to God. I still belong to him. I still am a part of his family, and I'm still worth finding, even if it feels as though he can't see me. You're worth the search, friend. You're worth the search. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, hey, man, I know, I know what you're saying, Rivers, but it just it doesn't feel that way. I, I've, been, I've been serving and somehow my prayers are still falling on deaf ears. I, I've been feeling a little more lost than normal and it seems as though I'm going to stay here forever. Rivers, I hear what you're saying, and you're, you're, you're painting it from the scriptures, but it just, you don't know how I feel right now. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. Your feelings are real. Let me be the first to acknowledge that. The feelings that you feel are very real, and they affect your reality, but can I tell you something? Jesus uses this text to tell us and shift our perspective towards the truth. That though you feel lost, though you may feel alone, there is a God in heaven who is always coming after you, who is always desperately searching for you, that's always diligently searching for you. So though you may feel this way, that's not the final say. It's never going to be the final say. He's a God who's always searching for you. I want to share this thought with you as we come to a close today. Lord, you can come. Have you let the feeling of being lost rob you of the joy of being found? Have you let the feeling of being lost rob you of the joy of being found? Here's what I mean by that. Have you let all of your doubts and all of your fears, all of your reservations, have you let that deter you from what you know to be true? That there's a Christ, there's a, there's a Savior that came and died and shed his blood just for you so that you don't have to stay lost. So that you don't have to feel as though you're wandering day by day, not knowing which way is up from down, not knowing which way is left from right. Have you allowed the feeling of being lost rob you of the joy of being found? If you have, that's okay. 
But today, just in this moment, you don't have to leave with that same perspective. You don't have to leave feeling this crippling doubt that there's a God that loves you. But you can stand and think and love boldly knowing, hey, I once was lost too. And no, I didn't have this hairy, gruesome testimony. I felt lost doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do. I was praying and still felt lost. I was fasting and still felt lost. I was giving and still felt lost. I was serving and still felt lost. Yeah, that was me. Well, I realized that even if I feel lost inside of the home, God not only goes after those who are far, but he's here for those who are near as well. Will you bow your head with me? Father, your presence is here now. And there are so many of us in this room that though we may not say it out loud, we feel lost a bit. Not in the sense of, not in the sense of you not knowing where we are, but perhaps our perspective has gone and taken away that we didn't desire. So right here in this moment, Father, with our eyes closed and our hearts pointed at you, we say renew our perspective. Point us back to what's true. Point us back to what's real. That no matter what's happening, no matter how we feel, no matter what we see, that even in the midst of being in your house, we can still be found. You're always coming after us. And you'll never stop until we're found. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. We all say it together, amen.